Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You should know where you are, and more importantly, you should know who this is. This is Tyler Schaff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. This week, guys, we're going to talk about buyer broker agreements. I'm doing this one solo because this is something that I, it, I think it's a very important episode. I've been a realtor for a very long time, and these are very common when dealing with real estate agents or brokers. Uh, so Mike's out in Vegas. He's uh, going to sit this one out. I'm going to go ahead and cover this one myself because this is a topic that I have a lot of experience in, and I think I, there's a lot of important points here I want to bring to your attention. Now, there is no catch-all right thing or wrong thing to do when it comes to others, the wrong things you could do when it comes to buyer, buyer broker agreements. I'll be honest. I'm generally not a fan. I even tell people that I tend to, I will use these agreements sometimes when I want to get rid of a potential customer that I really don't want to deal with because I know most folks don't like to sign them. Some folks will sign them and not read them, which is frankly terrifying. I wouldn't recommend that at all, but nonetheless, this is something that comes up and it's becoming more and more prevalent in the marketplace. Now, I do believe that they have their place in the world, but it's a case-by-case scenario. So first of all, what the heck am I talking about? What is a buyer-broker agreement? And generally speaking, it's a contract between someone who is buying real estate and a real estate broker or their agent. Uh, Some consider it a form of employment, like an employment contract. Now, in this episode, I'm going to use the term broker. In most states, real estate agents are considered real estate. They just call them brokers. Florida and a couple other states have a salesperson's license and a broker's license. And some realtors get their panties in a twist if you say broker and that person doesn't have a broker's license, whatever. Bottom line is both a broker and an agent are licensed. If if they're the same or if they're different, they're both entitled to collect a commission to sell real estate. Okay, So that's really the the crux of that here, first of all. So we're going to use the term broker just so we're clear there. And the next thing we're going to ask is, you know, and I'm going to go through the questions that people ask me because I have a lot of folks reach out to me here in the podcast uh, because I invite you to. I tell you, you know, if you've got questions on this stuff, don't go signing things and call me after you've already signed something because it's a little too late. But um, instead, ask questions before you sign things. And if you get things over that are odd, then and you question them, then shoot me an email, send me over the contract you're looking at. I'll take a peek at it. Now, that said, I'm not an attorney. I never pretend to be, but I am logical and I've been doing this for I forgot how many years, over 20 years. And in many cases, I tell people, if you don't understand what's in the contract, you need to get a real estate attorney involved and have them interpret it for you. More importantly, have them dumb it down and rewrite it so that it's clear for everybody. Because here's what I've learned in all these years of doing this deal. If you leave things open to interpretation, the interpretation that comes forth in the future, you may not agree with. So why not take the time to get the interpretation dialed in now so that it's not a huge question later. The last thing you ever want to do when you're involving paperwork and contracts is you be under one system of belief and the other party being on another system of belief because what that leads to is court, and that's not fun, right? So what are in these agreements? Well, lots of things, and this is why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this probably several times this episode, and I really want to impress on you how important this is. You got to read the thing. You got to read it from beginning to end. Make sure... You understand everything in it. And I bet you, because to this day, I read them at least once a month, someone sends one over. And when I read them, there's always something in there that confuses me. Now, why is that? Sometimes because it was written by an attorney that, you know, they tend to write things sometimes very complex. I believe a good attorney will, will simplify 
the writing such that everybody can understand it, but there are not every attorney is created equal. My attorney, Sean Yesner, yesnerlaw.com, when he writes a clause, he makes it in plain English so that everybody that's looking at it, most people anyway, reasonably, can understand it. Because if he doesn't do that, then he's not doing his job as my attorney. So that's why I love having Sean write clauses and things for me. Makes it makes total sense hiring him to do that. That I don't have to worry about is the language, is there any ambiguity or, or is there any confusion in the way it's written, right? Because if the other party doesn't understand it, then it's kind of not cool if you if you have them sign something they don't understand. If you're, if you're the broker or the buyer, right? You don't want the broker signing something they don't understand. And brokers are not real estate attorneys and all real estate attorneys are not perfect. So you don't really shouldn't want anybody you're dealing with to sign something that they don't understand. That's just not cool. So with that said, let's dive in. They're often used to spell out, as I said a bit ago, to spell out a compensation agreement between you and the broker, as well as taking the representation type that the broker is offering and reducing it to writing. So that's kind of a dual function purpose. And what I mean by that is real estate brokers, agents, whatever, are required to disclose to you the type of brokerage relationship. And that's usually buyer or seller agency, or in Florida they call that single agent, or transaction broker, which means you're kind of the, the broker is kind of monkey in the middle. And the difference there is as a single agent, the the broker owes you at least in Florida, confidentiality. That's one of the fundamental differences between transaction broker and single agent. Single agent, there's confidentiality. You're not really working as the middleman. You're working exclusively for one side or the other, buyer or seller. Now, on the flip side of that, transaction broker, the the agent or the broker is more neutral. They're in the middle, which means they don't give confidentiality to either party. And the last form generally, and this varies from state to state, the terminology, but they all mean the same thing. The other one is the non-representation, which they'll give you what they call a notice of non-representation. Here's an example of that. As you guys know, if you ever dealt with me in a real estate transaction, I prefer to only work one side of the transaction. That means if I'm the listing agent, I'm only going to work with the seller. I'm not going to represent a buyer at the same time. Why is that? Well, for me, it's a personal choice. I believe that in good faith, I can only rec- represent one party. I can only have loyalty to one party. So I, whoever that is, if I'm the listing agent, then it's the seller. And if I'm the buyer's agent, then it's the buyer. I try not to operate as a transaction broker. My broker, frankly, doesn't even like it. Well, he, he prefers that we be single agents, which means we only represent one side. The only exception is, is if another whoever the other parties being represented by works for the same company, which in my case is Future Home Realty. If there's another Future Home Realty agent um, that's representing the other side of the transaction, at that point, we become what they call a transaction broker. Uh, and these things are out there, guys, buyers and sellers, to protect you so that you're clear on what form of representation that you're getting. Okay. Now, aside from that, the compensation is also another reason for that. I want you, when you read these, to be looking for extra fees if you default or for some reason don't comply. And with that said, what constitutes default? That should be very clearly laid out and should never be left up to interpretation. Recently, I, I read one that's from an out-of-state broker where it was not clear on what they meant by default. So I counseled the person that I was speaking to that they should get this over to a, a, a real estate attorney in their state 
to review this document and to clarify that clause because it's very, very general. And when it's general, well, one side interprets it one way, the other side interprets it the other way. And again, as I said earlier, you wind up in court, okay? So another question I have is, how do you know when it's safe to sign one of these? Well, first of all, read it. And I mean, when I mean read it, I mean don't scan it. I mean literally read every word. And for me, I like to read things quietly first, and then I read it again out loud. And it's funny. Every time I do that, I hear something different. I find that very interesting. But it's true. And um, if there's any language or wording in the agreement that's not 100% clear to me, I have it reviewed by my attorney. I send it over to Sean Yesner, and I have him read through it. Uh, recently, we had a settlement agreement. <clears throat> uh, my Sean was representing a member of my family, my daughter, in a case, and the other counsel sent over a settlement agreement. And I didn't understand some of the language in it, and it didn't make sense to me, so I called Sean and had him read it to me and my daughter so that we could and you know interpret it for us so that it makes sense. And what we did is Sean then countered that settlement um, to the other side to clarify and to basically simplify that language so that everybody, anybody that looked at that document would be able to read it and understand it, okay? Now, unfortunately, here comes the bad news. And there are cases where people use brokers, I mean, and wholesalers use fear or mild intimidation to get people to sign these agreements or they offer some sort of punishment if you don't sign it. For example, uh, recently a friend of mine was looking at buying real estate out of state and uh, the agent said, well, if you don't sign this, then I can't give you uh I can't give you any advice. I can't give you any guidance, which is not what the document said. The document said you're either a transaction broker or a single agent or buyer broker. Um, either one of those provides for representation. First of all, be clear. The difference was confidentiality, but this agent, even though very well liked in their community, apparently doesn't read or doesn't understand agency. Okay. Agency as a, as a real estate broker, which is sad because that's kind of like one of the big deals about being licensed is, the whole idea of understanding agency and, and representation. So she basically used fear of loss. You know, if you don't sign this, then you lose something to try to convince uh, this person I was talking to, to sign it. And that's not really good way to do things guys. And if you ever get put in a position like this, that's a good opportunity for you to pump the brakes because if they're going to do this to you now, what are they going to do to you when you're on the fence on whether or not you should accept a counteroffer or when you're in negotiations? If you give them this amount of control over you this early in the game, you may wind yourself being in a very uncomfortable position in the future. This is, in my opinion, a form of manipulation. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't like being manipulated in my real estate transactions. I want to make sure that I make my decisions that are best for me and my family. If I'm doing it for the fund, if it's best for me and the investors, I want to make sure that people on my team are well provided for and taken care of and that we don't obligate ourselves. So you can absolutely at any time refuse to sign anything. You are not required to sign anything. And that's even a traffic ticket, guys. That's coming from a former police officer. You don't have to sign a traffic ticket, but all you're signing for with a traffic ticket is acknowledgement that you received it. So I, you know, if you get a traffic ticket, I would sign the damn thing because you're not agreeing to guilt. It's not an admission of guilt. It's just saying that you received it. Okay. But again, you don't have to sign it. No one's going to throw you in jail if you don't sign it. What if you're not able to sign? What if you got arthritis? So you don't have to sign any document. And when a wholesaler or real estate broker puts something under your nose and 
and wants you to sign it on the spot, say no. Pump back and sit back a little bit. Take a minute. Excuse yourself. Read the contract. Do not feel pressured to sign these type of agreements. Um, sometimes these sales folks are real good at making you, painting you in a corner and making you feel like you're being petty or making you feel like you're making a big deal out of nothing or making you feel like you're a drama queen. Um, I, I know wholesalers that do, are, do this a lot. There's one in my former market up in Tampa Bay. Actually, there's two companies that, believe it or not, they're realtors. It, yeah, they're licensed real estate agents and they're also wholesalers and they use intimidation, uh, fear, pressure, high pressure sales tactics to get people to sign representation agreements, to sign contracts, to give non-refundable deposits, to do stuff like this. Don't get yourself painted in the corner. Okay. Now understand the broker may refuse, refuse to work with you uh, or again, they may counter with a more limited form of representation. If this happens, don't get discouraged. As I said earlier, this might be a blessing in disguise. So you might be asking, well, why do these agreements even exist? Why do they matter? First off, why they come into existence is shaky and flaky buyers are a reason. Um, if you're being asked to sign one of these, it might be because the broker is not confident that you're going to be loyal to them such that they can earn a commission when you buy something. Another reason uh, could be that the buyers in the past have flaked out on this agent uh, or the wholesaler or fired them in the middle of a transaction for whatever reason, whether it's justified or not. And the broker got cut out of their commission. Regardless of the reason, it's a good idea to press on the broker to find out why they feel such an agreement is necessary. I'm going to tell you a little short story. Over Thanksgiving, I was out in Seattle. I've been working this client for about six months. Um, and he lived up in North Carolina, and he was looking at a house in Key West. And it had been on the market a while. It was a, I think it was on the, it was on the market for, I think, $2.5 million. Over, it took us a while to negotiate it, and you guys know negotiation. Negotiation is not a race; it's a journey, and or a, a process, I should say, not a journey. But we were, had a lot of back and forth conversations between the listing agent, the seller. Went out, met with the seller, listing agent, walked the property, shot videos of it, the whole nine yards. Spent several months working on this one transaction. We get into negotiations. This is over Thanksgiving. I'm out in Seattle. I'm on the phone with the listing broker. We're working this thing out, talking to the buyer. What about yada yada yada? Buyer says he needs to get to a certain price. We got him to that certain price. Uh, everything, I mean, the sellers, we took the sellers down to like 1.6 million from 2.5. Huge reduction in price. Home run deal. I mean, the guy was walking into like 400 grand in equity. But his girlfriend, I could tell, was not on board. She wasn't sure if she wanted this house. You know, And I'd said to them several times, don't commit, don't get into negotiations if this isn't the house for you. Maybe you should take a minute, pump the brakes, get on a plane, come down here. Well, they didn't do that, and they made a counteroffer. I was able to get the counteroffer ex uh, accepted by the seller, and then the buyer just disappeared. I mean, literally flaked out and disappeared. They didn't put any earnest money down yet because we had just got the approval, and the earnest money was due uh, within 48 hours of the, the seller's acceptance or, or the meeting of the minds. Bottom line is the buyer just totally flaked and like disappeared off the face of the earth. I'm like, whiskey, tango, foxtrot, what's that? I've called them, emailed them, sent a literally snail mail postcard, nothing. Video email, nothing. I know he's alive because I can see that the videos have been have been viewed and that the emails have been opened. So he's not dead. He just flaked out. Maybe the girlfriend beat him up. I don't know what the deal is. But the dude freaked out, and you know that left me as the broker in a bad spot. Um, I was negotiated in good faith on their behalf. I was able to score a significant discount 
essentially getting the seller and listing agent to show their cards. And then the buyer just disappears just like that. So you could imagine what the other agent and more importantly, or equally important, the seller is probably thinking what the f is going on, right? I would be thinking that if I was the listing agent. So that agent's probably not real pleased with me right now, even though logically they know it's not my fault. I mean, I did everything I could do, but had I had one of these buyer broker agreements in place, there's a chance that I could have gone after them for my commission because they freaking owe me. I mean, at the end of the day, they should owe me. They should have, they should pay because I performed, got them what they wanted, which was a home run deal. Actually, I got it a little less than what they wanted. Um, they owe that commission. At the end of the day, you know, karma's a bitch. I'm not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but you can see where, Somebody could, this could happen to you. You waste a whole lot of time and energy. By the way, guys, that's like a $50,000 commission. So I, it cost me 50 grand. I was not happy about that, but nonetheless, it happened. So you can see where a broker would want these agreements to be in place. So that doesn't happen again. For me, it's a personal choice. It's a business decision. I don't like to use them. Um, I will use them if I don't want to work with you <laughs> and I'll make you sign one so you don't flake out or if I think you'll flake. But otherwise, um, I don't like them. I don't like any part of them. The next question I get is, do these agreements mean I have to pay the buyer's agent myself? And no, it doesn't mean that 100% of the time. You, It could be worded that way, though. So you that's, again, going back to reading it. What does it say? Who is responsible for the compensation for that, that agent or broker's compensation or the wholesaler's compensation? That should be crystal clear explained in the agreement. If it's not, then pump the brakes, get your attorney involved, or just flat out refuse. Watch out for lengthy timeframes in these agreements, guys. I've seen many that obligate the buyer for a year or more, which means anything you buy, any real estate you buy over an entire year, whether or not this broker was involved or not, you owe that broker a commission. I mean, come on. I had this happen actually to a guy in Tampa who is a house flipper. He buys the deal from a wholesaler who's also a licensed realtor. Shuffled in the paperwork was one of these hokey agreements, and in there it said that anything that the guy bought in the Tampa Bay area, this unscrupulous wholesaler slash licensed agent, is owed a commission. And you think, well, that can't happen. Well, it did happen. And you think, well, that'll never fly in court. You're right, it didn't. But guess how much in, in attorney's fees the guy had to pay? About $9,000 in attorney's fees to go to court to be innocent. So that's money gone. And you could say, well, the other, you know, prevailing party says this and that. My attorney says I can recover fees. Yeah, you can recover those fees if you sue for your innocence. But that's only if the person you're recovering from actually pays them. Just because people get a judgment or a court order doesn't mean they're going to pay it. I mean, they're not going to throw them in jail for it unless there's something that's a court fine that was issued by a judge. Otherwise, they're not going to throw anybody. There's no such thing as debtor's prison just because they owe you money, at least as far as I'm concerned. So keep in mind, suing them is not going to really be a good result. Um, there are unethical brokers that have convinced buyers to sign these things. Uh, it happens a lot. It happens a lot in the Tampa Bay market, I can tell you that. I don't, I don't see much of that or any of that down here in Key West, but I absolutely see it in Tampa Bay. It's run amok in Tampa Bay. There are some shady title companies, lots of shady wholesalers and brokers up in the Tampa Bay market. It's a, it's a den of thieves up there. You've got to be really, really careful. Now, that doesn't mean that every wholesale in Tampa Bay market and every realtor is a thief. I would say about 1%, but that 1% can do a lot of damage in a very short period of time, okay? So you got to make sure you fully understand uh, 
what you're signing before you sign it. Question I get is how can I refuse these or request modifications? I know sometimes it's a little unsettling to refuse to do anything because we all want to please people. Nobody wants to be a jerk, but in saying no, doesn't mean being a jerk. It just means saying no. It's that simple. It's like, do you want fries with that? No, I'd rather have the fruit. Uh, real simple. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to sign this. I get NDAs all the time. Brokers send me things, wholesalers send me things. And they first they send over an NDA. I'm like, how do I even know I'm even interested in looking at what you're offering? You're already shoving a contract in my face. I'm just going to politely refuse. I, I'm good. I'm just going to keep, I'm sorry. Next on, right? It is not mandatory. There is no law. There is no requirement. There is no regulation that you sign these, Okay. If you don't want to sign it the way it is, have your lawyer rewrite the agreement in such a way that you are comfortable signing it and then send it back to the broker. Um, and if they make changes, then just that, that invalidates it, right? doesn't matter. Again, it's not mandatory. There's no law requiring that you sign one of these agreements. It is just a part of negotiation. And there's nothing wrong with negotiating the terms of that agreement. That is 100% within your rights. And you should do that if you're not comfortable with the way it's written. Again, your broker may get testy that you're not complying, uh, but this is a good example of how doing business with them is going to turn out. Okay. For them, this is a job interview. So if they're already going to act a fool, then they're going to, what are they going to do when you really get in the sauce in a real estate transaction? They're really going to act a fool and it's going to be 10 times more uncomfortable. So take this as a job interview and choose not to work with them. It's that simple. Fire them, if you will. Now, NDAs, I personally will not sign an NDA at all until my lawyer reviews them. And the next question is, how often does that happen? Very, very rarely. It's rare I send them over because after reading each one, I already know that I won't sign it. So I don't need to bother Sean Yesner uh, to tell me what I already know. There are terms in there that I'm not even willing to entertain, period. So I'll usually push it back in their face since I'm not signing it. You've got something for sale. I've got a buyer willing to buy, I can't really sign a non-disclosure agreement in most cases the way they word them. And keep in mind, guys, they get these things from Office Depot or some guru on the internet. They don't read them themselves. So as a broker, if you give me information that I now have to sell to a, or talk to a client to, in most cases, the way these things are worded, I've already broken the non, non-disclosure agreement. Um, but the, you can always tell the boilerplate ones because they don't address this. Now, the ones that actually were put together with some care and diligence those things address that I am a, I'm a broker of the transaction, that I am required to disclose. I have to disclose things, uh, material defects, things like that to my client. Obviously, they want to know what the income and the expenses are, name of the business. I mean, we got due diligence. So it's hard for me as a broker to even sign one. It just doesn't make sense. So I just usually refuse. Now, that said, ask them why uh, they require this. Because for me, such an agreement would likely maintain prevent me rather from uh, maintaining my fiduciary responsibility to my client. I have a responsibility to that who I represent. Um, therefore, I can't really get into signing these things because I put the whole transaction in peril. What is so confidential where this document suddenly has become necessary? That's a valid question. I ask that a lot. Uh, most often, the guy that's, tr that's trying to shove this NDA down my throat really can't give me a straight answer. Usually some guru told him, oh, make sure you get an NDA because everybody in the whole world is going to steal your buyer or steal your seller. And, uh, once I, re I assure them that that's not the case, or I simply refuse, they still have a problem. You see, they got something for sale, so they still have a problem. Now, NDAs I find being commonly used these days by wholesalers. So somebody out there 
is giving this advice in, in, in wholesaler guru camp um, that make your people sign an NDA. And I guess that's because a lot of wholesalers are getting backdoored. And you ask yourself, why are they getting backdoored? Well, it may be because they're sketchy to begin with. It may be that they really don't have a deal. It's really something off the MLS and they're trying to flip an MLS deal. I've actually seen courses on how to flip MLS deals, which guys, that's just, come on. That's, that's about as mealy mouth chicken shit as you can get. The, you know, <laughs> just don't do that stuff. You, you want to have integrity and people to follow through and, and trust you. You got to provide them value, not trying to wholesale some deal off the MLS that you knocked five grand off. That's that, and then sell it for more than what it's for sale for in the MLS. That's unethical. So if you think this, this is going on, you're not clear on why they want this, then just simply refuse to sign it. I can tell you that 9.9 times out of 10, I refuse to sign it they wind up sending me the information anyway. 9.9 times that happens. So if that's any indication of the success of these forms, that should tell you a clue right there. Don't You don't need to sign these things, guys. Don't contractually burden yourself with the drama. Just stay out of it and refuse them to sign them, and they'll probably overlook it in the first place. Don't get offended. There's probably a reason why they're asking you to do it, Heck, the reason maybe you, maybe they don't trust you. Maybe you gave off a shady vibe. I don't know. Maybe it's not you. But the bottom line is you don't have to be shitty about it. You just got to give them give them the benefit of the doubt, ask some questions, and simply politely refuse to sign it. Guys, I hope you found value in this episode. This is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because I've spent a lot of time over the years digging people out of the mess that they get themselves in uh, because they didn't read their agreements. They, they signed things without taking the time to understand it. The heck, half the time they never got past the first sentence. This is dangerous stuff. It can be dangerous stuff if you don't read this stuff. Having an attorney review these documents is well worth its price, its price in gold. They don't even charge that much a lot of times to review stuff. Get with a good real estate attorney or a good contract law attorney in your market so when you get confused or get something you're not sure you're supposed to do, have a second set of eyes look on it. Guys, this is the stuff that will keep you safe. Keep your cash flowing. See you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.